is the Screamin' Neemans on Blaze Radio. Another week and another episode of the Screaming Neemans. Welcome back to the Screaming Neemans podcast with me, Blake Neeman, alongside Edward Neeman, bringing you another week of hot takes and all the things going on in the sports world. And we are getting into the thick of November, winter just around the corner. And with that, we have the conclusion of the fall classic between the Houston Astros and the Philadelphia Phillies, with the Astros claiming their first. World Series championship in Game 6 with a 4-1 victory over the Phillies. Dusty Baker, a longtime head coach, now getting his first, longtime manager rather, getting his first victory in the World Series from a player to a manager, gets that sweet victory. But with that being said, this is the first championship for the Houston Astros since that 2017 championship that went up in flames basically due to the scandal into their um, cheating allegations and their sign stealing that ultimately led to the hire of Dusty Baker as their new manager. So with this new championship, this new era of Dusty Baker, have the Card- have the <laughs> Astros moved on from this cheating scandal or will their reputation forever be tarnished by it? Well, you know, I think it really depends who you ask. But from from my standpoint, the way I see it is this World Series win to me reaffirms what I knew about the Astros. A really good franchise, a franchise in recent years has been able to turn over talent. But all this makes me wonder why they ever felt the need to cheat in the first place because the talent in that 2017 team itself, to me, on paper – would have looked like it would have won them a World Series. And the fact that they've been to the World Series four times since then will have won it twice, including 2017, and have pretty much turned over their whole roster with few remaining players from that 2017 team just makes me think that they could have had the same success that they have had without the whole cheating scandal and without having to go through any of that. So to me, it's a it's just a bad reflection on that Astros organization from 2017 um, and I don't know. I, I just feel like the team would be in a similar situation that it is in now, just without all of the baggage that they have now. Yeah, I I think I would hope that people's love for Dusty Baker would help put behind this scandal that was now five years ago. And it's perplexing to me why they've still carried that f- with the Astros. I mean, people are going to hate on the Astros because – uh, they they root against them just because their teams aren't in the championship as well. But there's been scandals throughout history and throughout various um, sporting sporting leagues and co- collegiate uh, investigations. But th- those get put aside after a few years, and it's been more more than enough time. It's been five years since that scandal. Um, well, rather the sc- scandal did proceed for a couple of years until the it was all sorted out, but it still came to fruition a long time ago. And I think people and fans need to move on. And it's, it's not that same team. There's a lot of new moving pieces. Yes. Jose Altuve, the leader of the team is still there, but there's a new manager and there's certainly a new era coming to that franchise with the resurgence of Jeremy Pena. The rookie has been phenomenal. He is one of those bright stars that is popping onto the scene in the MLB. Just as bright, I believe, as Julio Rodriguez as far as long-term trajectory goes. 
winning a World Series MVP as well as an ALCS MVP, all as a rookie position player. No rookie position player in MLB history had ever won World Series MVP prior to Pena winning winning in his phenomenal performance throughout the postseason. He collected 10 hits and just played stout defense throughout the entire series. He's been fantastic, not not to mention he won a gold glove this year. He he did everything he was everything the Astros needed him to be and more with the departure of Carlos Correa at shortstop. There was a huge void because he was looked at as one of the best hitting shortstops in baseball. And to have a rookie come in out of the minor league system and perform like he did, it was truly remarkable. Yeah, and I think it's those guys, you know, coupled with with manager Dusty Baker are the guys who are going to move this franchise forward and are going to move them past the point where everyone's looking at that 2017 scandal. And I think if they can do that and they can highlight those type of players and, and those type of guys on the team, I think that that will accelerate uh, fans in the MLB uh, from looking past that 2017 situation. And so looking outside of the Astros, who will look to defend next season with still most likely their entire roster staying in place, but around the rest of the MLB, there's been a lot of talk of possible shakeup with trade buzz through the air. Edwin Diaz did re-sign with the Mets. That's been the most notable um, contract thing. But as far as everything else, it's all left up in the air with lots of talks surrounding ace Jacob deGrom and how he's worked through injury the past few seasons but came on um, to the pitching staff and returned to his dominance. And then Trey Turner, he one of the best, probably the best shortstop in baseball, talks of him. Wilson Contreras for the Cubs, he's a free agent this year, um, one of the best catchers in baseball. So lots of star players. Anthony Rizzo, the list goes on and on. There's a lot of trade buzz going on. And so what, what place would you like to see one of these star players land? Well, what I'll say, what I can say about the, the Wilson Contreras situation, just being from Chicago, I think it was, it's definitely uh, not a great situation if you're a Cubs fan. You didn't deal him at the deadline. You let him walk free now. Um, you mentioned one of the best catchers and one of the better two-way catchers, really, in the MLB. Um, and I don't know, a guy like Contreras, you just hope that he ends up at a, at a team that will utilize his two-way talents um, that he can contribute to. I mean, I, I can't really put a name on the team. I, I just hope that he lands in a spot that he can really continue his career and continue his dominance behind the plate being a catcher and also a really great hitter. Yeah, I, I'm going to shift more towards just the big-name free agents yeah. like Anthony Rizzo and Jacob deGrom and Trey Turner. So... I feel that DeGrom and the Mets situation, the way it played out, them losing in the fashion they did to the Padres. Now, granted, the Padres did beat the 111-win Dodgers, which also leads to the question of Trey Turner maybe wanting to leave as well because he he elevated that franchise, um, although it may have not needed any more elevating, but he really was a difference maker on this team and was one of their best hitters in their lineup of dogs and just pure hitters in that lineup. But Trey Turner really stood out to me this year. He really elevated his game even more. He's a World Series champion already, and I feel like he can win with the Dodgers, but the Dodgers have been notable with manager Dave Roberts through recent seasons of not being able to get it, get it done fully. And I could definitely see him going somewhere else. And 
there's definitely options for him out there and i i'd like to see him explore those options because he he is such a prominent talent but i think he he would be likely to remain with the dodgers more so than i'd see possibly a jacob Degrom exploring the market i feel like um with the acquisition of max scherzer and to coincide with Jacob DeGrom. DeGrom has been working through injuries through the past few seasons, and I feel that, I don't know if the Mets are, they, they, they've paid him money. He's a Cy Young Award winner, one of the best when he is healthy, but I could definitely see a situation in when the Mets maybe want to get a different, some younger bullpen prospects that could maybe depth in that, that bullpen outside of just the one-two punch and keep risking DeGrom's injury, injury prone. Yeah, and I think with a guy like DeGrom, I think the value of him can vary due to the fact how some teams might perceive his injuries affecting him, his long his longevity and whatnot. So I think, you know, you mentioned it. I, I would like to see him test the waters and, and see what teams are willing to, to offer him and, and how they uh, see his value um, to their franchise. And I think he's one of the more vulnerable guys to move in, in the market. And then, of course, we already mentioned this on the podcast a few weeks ago, but Aaron Judge, his move will be definitely interesting and one to keep an eye out for. But like Trey Turner, I think that the Yankees will make a strong move to keep him on their roster. But moving on from baseball discussion, baseball now straight into the offseason, while college football is heating up more than ever before. This past weekend, lots of stuff went down. Clemson down by Notre Dame. Alabama lost in Baton Rouge and all the fans stormed the field a similar scene we saw earlier this season against Tennessee what a win there and so two of those college football playoff contenders now likely out of contention so what are we thinking is and, and then also Tennessee as just on that topic lost to Georgia as well by a pretty handy margin which would you say was the biggest disappointment in your mind well, when I look at it, I, I really thought Alabama had a, had a decent shot to beat LSU. I definitely think they were on upset alert, but I don't know. It, it just when you when you're Alabama and you're you're that Nick Saban program, it's it's tough to lose a game like that and be completely eliminated from playoff contention and, and to let an opponent take you out like that. Um, I, I expected more from them, um, but obviously LSU played a great game. They got it done. Jaden Daniels, I mean, we'll talk about that a little later in, in the podcast, but good performance by him and all around a, a good performance by LSU. Um, and then touching on the Notre Dame-Clemson game, I think there were some people who saw that coming. I, th- I think that loss just is a, shows a little bit uh, of weakness by the ACC in the fact that they were, they were ranked four and, and they were supposed to be a top contender in, in, in college football and, and going into the playoffs, and they were completely dismantled by a – somewhat a team turbulent team in, in Notre Dame that has been going up and down um, you know with a first year head coach and I, I think that more than more than anything that might be a reflection on the ACC as a as a league and as a whole yes and I think a lot of people question Clemson being at four yeah over in the initial rankings at least over TCU and uh, other contenders but and then just touching on the topic of Notre Dame I I am liking this team and where where they have turned it around and they they really started off struggling with a loss to Marshall and then a loss to Stanford but now with this win against Clemson I am very excited to see what goes on between them and USC that could totally ruin the college football playoff hope for USC 
and they they are a team that is definitely now with the way Marcus Freeman has turned around that team they are a team that can definitely create some noise although they may not be going to the playoff like they have been accustomed to in recent years Brian Kelly now going to LSU where he just dismantled Alabama so I think uh, Marcus Freeman has a legitimate shot to uh, at USC and that that all-time rivalry Notre Dame USC is one to live for but circling back to Alabama definitely want to touch on that because it seems like fans rushing the field has become an all too familiar scene this season as opposed to prior and the only difference this time around with LSU as opposed to Tennessee was that the goalposts didn't get removed and tossed <laughs> into the Mississippi like they did in Tennessee. Saban's explanation for the loss was the same as the last loss. It was too many defensive lapses, too many penalties, no consistent run game, and obviously too many penalties and not enough talent around Bryce Young, the star quarterback, Heisman candidate. And Saban said last year that it was a rebuilding season last season. And I think he shot the gun a little bit too early, considering they have two losses this year and now are going to be out of playoff contention, likely. And to pinpoint the problem from the fall of being in the national championship against Georgia last season to now a two-loss team to Tennessee and Baton Rouge, and I mean, Tennessee and LSU, rather, it comes down to the lack of depth at the wide, wide receiver position. The Tide has been known for producing NFL first-round talent guys like Julio Jones, Amari Cooper, Devontae Smith, Jaron Judy, Jalen Waddle. The list goes on and on. This year, Bryce Young's most reliable Caesar receiver has been Jameer Gibbs, the running back for the Tide. And while he's been impressive at times, he hasn't even been a very valid weapon in really hasn't been that running back that the Tide have been accustomed to. Also, that brute force running back that they've had in the past, like Derrick Henry, among others. And so poor Bryce Young is just back there with underwhelming weapons. And then, frankly, an offensive line that has not been very great this year with only with him being hit on 22% of his dropbacks. And then against LSU, he was pressured on 44% of his pass attempts. So just with to top all of that that off, considering how bad ASU is getting penalties, Alabama is even worse. They are tied for the most penalties per in the FBS right now with 78. So Nick Saban's a stickler on the little details, and you let your team have penalties like that, and then also not go out and make a move in the position where you're losing the most depth at receiver. Nick Saban accepted fault for the loss, and I think it does fall a lot on him. Yeah, and, you know, you mentioned the, the little things, and that's what, in my opinion, often makes Alabama such a great team is the fact that Nick Saban's able to hone in on the little details of the game, which in, in college football and among programs, you don't see that as much like teams do like Alabama. And, you know, I think just the tough part of this game is, is you kept seeing those little mistakes, those penalties and those those falters, but it was in a must-win game. If you're in Alabama, you know this is a game you have to win to keep your playoff hopes alive. And the fact that you continue to, to make the same mistakes and you, you continue to see an uptick in penalties, it, it just makes me feel like what you mentioned, the depth. 
and the experience isn't there because these mistakes are continuing to happen. And that's, to me, the sign of uh, not a well-rounded team and not a team that's prepared to, to have players and produce talent like we've seen in the past with Alabama. And so with the loss of Alabama and Clemson and Tennessee, the door is pretty open for other conferences, especially TCU, who still is hanging on to their undefeated season. They got Texas this week, yeah. though, so they're, they're definitely going to get tex- uh, tested in Texas. Um, but the Pac-12 also has still three legitimate shots at the pack at, at the playoff although Oregon's case is weakened because of that Georgia loss uh, that's really going to play a hit in the in the eyes of the committee so i think their their best chances are um with the southern california schools in USC and UCLA and so the winner of that rivalry matchup is likely going to be taking on Oregon in in the championship if Oregon can can hang on and which out and win out. They do have a big matchup against Utah this week, so there's definitely some big matchups ahead for the Pac-12, and they they definitely have a lot of pressure on their back considering they haven't been in the playoffs so long, and now they have three legitimate contenders. Yeah, and I, I think the best team will probably be the best the best team that has a shot at the playoffs. I should say that that probably in the eyes of the committee has has the best stock will probably be the winner of the USC UCLA game, as you mentioned. I think that Georgia lost to Oregon really hurt them and. Just the fashion it happened in, yeah. I, it really, I think, is the difference is the fact that they got walloped in a game that many saw being closer going into it than it was. So I really have my, my eye locked in on that USC-UCLA, and, you know, assuming that the teams take care of business, I think we'll have a good Pac-12 championship game in store between Oregon and the winner of that uh, that rivalry matchup. It'll definitely be an interesting th- way the – Pac-12 championship plays off, but talking about a team who will not be in any sort of Pac-12 championship contention or any championship contention for that matter, and that is the local team, Arizona State, who fell to UCLA this past weekend, but not not without a comeback. They, they posted a very impressive comeback bid, were down 25 at one point, and then got it back within six at one point before UCLA ultimately pulled away at the end to claim the victory. But to for the Sun Devils to put a performance up like this against a UCLA team that has been looked at as one of the best in the country, what, what does it say about Coach Iguano's squad head, heading into the final three-stretch game of the season? Well, more than anything, I think this game was a nutshell of Iguano's tenure so far in ASU. One thing that ASU hasn't done is checked out. They have performed well in games middle of the season, now going into the second half, that really in reality, yes, they still have a shot at a bowl game, but... I think we might we might see many teams that if we're in the same point as ASU check out and, and start to falter and, and start to commit mistakes that you would see from a team that's checking out. And the UCLA game, like I said, is a nutshell. They didn't check out of this game. They stayed in it. They put on an impressive comeback. I'll say from from the the first play of the game, UCLA got the ball, intercepted it right off the bat, first play of the game. You know, it just made me smile. It made me know that this ASU team is still there. They're, they're, they're sharp, and Aguano is making them better as the season goes on. The team is constantly improving. Aguano has had a very efficient offense with Borgay. I mean, I saw a few drives where ASU literally marched down the field on UCLA, and it was, was no problem. Total of 468 yards, 349 of which in the air just I think speaks to what Aguano is doing with this program and this chemistry that he's building with the junior Borgay at quarterback. 
Yeah, talking about Borgay, he had a great game. Like, yeah. cons- all things considered, he threw for 38 of 49 passing, threw for just under 350 yards, averaged 7.1 yards per pass, two touchdowns, and then he had one interception, which was just a, a fluke one yeah. on, like, the last play of the game when he was just trying to give the Sun Devils a chance. So I, I'm liking Trenton Borgay a lot. I, I mean, I've obviously liked him and been uh, – high on him with his wins against Washington and then against Colorado, two historic performances there, and being able to get two critical victories for the Sun Devils. And then you give your team a chance in the second half, you keep ASU in it in the second half, which is something we have not seen this season very much at all. And when ASU faces adversity, they have tended to crumble at times. But really, what I saw was a fight in this team that I have not seen all season long. The passion from Coach Iguano, the passion from Trenton Borgay, just the passion from the players in general, it, it was much better. And I think just the culture surrounding Iguano is is very strong and his, his Ohana culture. It was family weekend. It was it was a good it was a good environment at Sun Devil Stadium. And while a lot of people left at halftime, that didn't deter them. And, and, and they without the support of their their crowd that dwindled throughout the night. They they posted a comeback bid and they they were right in the there in the late game and to be able to take a step back and be able to come come back from what DTR did which was unreal he was just putting on a Madden tape highlight yeah. reel against them doing everything and anything he wanted and for the Sun Devils to be able to come back from him doing everything that he wanted to getting some defensive stops and letting their offense work I, I thought was very impressive. Yeah, and it, it just builds the case for Aguano to, to lock up this, this coaching role now. Whether he does or not, I don't know. But the fact that he's what he's been able to do in, in the short term has impressed me as a fan. And I think this team, like I said, is getting better on a game-by-game basis. And, you know, it's the little things. It's like the defense. If the defense was just a, a notch better, this was a very winnable game. You know, it, I expected a high-scoring game. It was a high-scoring game. Um, you know, it, they really, when the game is separated by that margin it just comes down to a stop or two on one of ucla's possessions and the game's turned around and who knows it could have been a sun devil win but you know it's the fact that they're improving they're getting better and like you said there's that fight that they're showing throughout the season the players are still there and and, you know they they, they'll have their their bowl game hopes on the line coming down the stretch here and i'm very interested to see how they perform uh coming down the stretch with some pressure mounting and I think this was the first game that ASU's uh, defense really let them down. Yeah. We've seen more so in the games prior that it was the offense that lacked with the Emory Jones. And Trenton Borgay has really stepped up into this starting quarterback role and taken on f- full steam ahead and really been able to transform the team and transform the offense and, and give it life again. But speaking of offense and ASU athletics, it is – Basketball season now, as we mentioned at the start of the show, just getting around the corner to winter. And we had opening week this week for ASU basketball. And the ASU men opened their season against Tarleton State and largely were did not play very well through a large majority of the game. I believe it was 22 turnovers. 
Um, it, but they ended up pulling it out in the end thanks to some clutch defensive stops down the stretch. And then uh, Frankie Collins coming through. He's the new transfer from Michigan. What are you liking from the Sun Devils thus far to start the season? Yeah, I mean, starting off with, with Frankie Collins, he had 10 points in the first half. And then in that second half, we saw two critical three-pointers that he made, and they went on that 12-0 run. And that's that's where I saw uh, Collins really making a direct difference to the Sun Devil team. It, it really invigorated them, and I think that those two three-pointers changed the trajectory of that second half. Obviously, it was a close game. Um, you know, and then another thing you mentioned down the stretch, they were able to force turnovers to win that game. You know, a few critical turnovers that they forced led the, to them to the win. Shaky start, but a win's a win. Right, a win is a win. Uh, Bob Hurley got a lot of heat after the yeah. game, and right, rightfully so. The Sun Devils should have not been in that close of a game against Tarleton State, and then 22 turnovers, that's unacceptable. Yeah. And he, he accepted accountability for the loss, and he was like, that's on me and my coaching staff and uh, having them underprepared for the season. So it's definitely going to be something to keep an eye on, like with Herm Edwards being a, a recent tenure here in, yeah. here in Tempe, and then... The, them not being afraid, ASU uh, management not being afraid to let Herm go, and so it'll be interesting. Bobby did get, escape with this win, and yeah. but Herm also won his first game against NAU. Yeah. And ironically, the Sun Devils play NAU yeah. tomorrow night, so it'll definitely be interesting to see how Bobby Hurley adjusts, and because a lot of people were very skeptical after that loss, and we'll see how he adjusts throughout the season and uh, tries tries to give this Sun Devil team a, ch- a, a chance to um, do some damage here in the Pac-12. That's going to be very competitive. And with, with with new transfers coming in like Frankie Collins, with a lot of expectations from from the local public, it is definitely going to going to be a season for Bobby Hurley to really really prove his coaching abilities and his way to bring new pieces together, uh, as well as Coach Adair for the women's team. But moving on from college basketball, we get and could just college sports in general, NFL this pack past weekend, good as usual, lots of different things going down with different teams trying to shape their teams together as we just go past the halfway mark of the season. Two big upsets this weekend. The Jets lost to the Jets beat the Bills rather, which you can consider that an upset or not because the Jets are actually pretty good this year, but the big one, Lions beating the Packers. Aaron Rodgers was as bad as I've seen him in a long time. And we, we've narked on him before on the Nemas and Arc segment, which will be coming up in a bit. But that that was hard to watch. It, and they only put up single digits, the Packers did, against the Lions. And the Lions are, are they're the Lions. I don't, I don't need to say much more than just they're the Lions. Yeah, that, that, was, that was a dreadful game to watch uh, on both sides. But the Packers losing that is just exposing issues and and really Aaron Rodgers. Uh, I think the conversation uh, that I'm seeing more frequently is, is maybe Aaron Rodgers is, is faulted for Devontae Adams leaving. Was he too greedy trying to negotiate a contract, get too much money? Maybe he should have taken a pay cut to let Devontae get re-signed. I don't know. There's just a lot of noise. And with this Packers team all season, I, I keep expecting them at some point to make a turn, to turn things around, to, to improve how they've been playing because it's been – really frankly so uncharacteristic by a team and I mean when you look at it it's the receiving core is not as good but it was really Devontae Adams who left and 
you know, you would expect Aaron Rodgers to make things work with the receivers they have. And, you know, Lazard's played de- decent this season. But I don't know. It's just, just a bad spot to be in if you're the Packers. If you're a Packers fan, you're definitely starting to worry because the fact that Aaron Rodgers is getting late in his career, and, and I don't know how many years he has left, but he doesn't – I'll say this. He doesn't have as many years as it will take to rebuild a whole entire Packers franchise and a whole entire Packers team. So they're going to have to do something to try to turn this around. And, you know, I don't know. It's Matt LaFleur has looked decent these past few years, but this year it's – I don't really know who to fault the blame on, but I'm really starting to question everybody on that team, whether it's Aaron Rodgers, LaFleur, that whole that whole coaching staff. I, I'm not sure where the Packers go from here because a loss against Detroit is – unacceptable when it comes to a Packers franchise as we've come to know it. This is a Green Bay's Packers. These This is the Green Bay Packers, a team that has in recent years been the best regular season team in the NFL, having several 13-win seasons over the past few years, but have obviously been unable to get over the championship hump ever since Aaron Rodgers won nearly a decade, over a decade ago. And Aaron Rodgers' lack of success in the postseason to just now coming into this season with the lack of his best target, Devontae Adams. You have a 3-6 and six start. You've doubled your loss total from last season. And so when, when it comes to a loss like this in the fashion it happened in a historically bad performance and Aaron Rodgers with his contract negotiations and how the controversy of all, how all that went down and how he has underperformed after getting that new contract and with the loss of Dante Devontae Adams to coincide with that. I am interested to see, and I would like to see, give Jordan Love a chance. Yeah. Give Jordan Love a chance. The kid has he's coming at times. He, he we haven't been able to see him a whole lot, mainly in the preseason, but he's come into some regular season games and he's performed. And look, this guy has been a backup for Aaron Rodgers, I believe, two years, three years now. So he's got, he's used to this system. He know what the, he knows what the system is like. Aaron Rodgers came in for Brett Favre. Yep. And it's just, it, it could continue down that line of this Packers trend of new quarterbacks. Now, do I think Jordan Love can be the long-term trajectories of success that Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre have had prior? I, I don't think so. I think I think it's going to be a cutoff from that generational talent. I don't think you see that every day, and you won't see it probably very, very much ever again to see that kind of transition within a franchise. But Packers fans don't like when quarterbacks don't play well, and they've been accustomed to very good quarterback play throughout the past two decades. So it might be the time to pass the torch. Yeah, and, you know, I, I wouldn't mind seeing it either. I think Jordan Love – he deserves a shot at it. You know, the Packers drafted him. He's sat behind Rodgers for the better part of his pretty much entire career. Like you said, he's come into games and, and he's performed not too not too bad. But, you know, I don't know. I, I think that Aaron Rodgers, everything that he's done throughout his, his career and, and the way that he has, has led things, it, it's starting to catch up to him a little bit because, you know, the fact that he wasn't able to take a pay cut and, and he was really stiff on negotiations – I don't know. I, I think that there's a combination of things that, that have led Aaron Rodgers to the, to I guess the letdowns you would say, the the lack of Super Bowls and, and the lack of deep playoff runs. But I don't know. I just feel like this is this is a bad way for Rodgers to go out. But 
I think it's time that you give somebody else a crack at it because sooner rather than later, you're going to want to start to look to the future of this this Packers team because Aaron Rodgers is not going to be around for much longer. And heck, he might not be even playing that good much longer. And speaking of a guy who has who might not be playing much longer and hasn't playing the best football of his career, but unlike Rodgers, has been able to manage this season, Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers got an impressive, much-needed victory against the Los Angeles Rams this past weekend. Tom Brady on a notable game-winning drive, as so many as we have seen it throughout his career. I believe it was his 55th game-winning drive, passing Peyton Manning as the all-time leader in game-winning drives. He's the GOAT. We know he is. But this Tampa Bay Buccaneers team is nothing like it was looking like last season. They do lead the NFC South, which isn't much of a statement considering how bad the NFC South has been this year. I mean, the Falcons have mainly been atop the division just until this past week. So what is the outlook for the Bucs as postseason-wise? And, of course, Tom Brady has Super Bowl aspirations. So how does this team look postseason-wise and their chances for Tom Brady to win uh, a ninth ring? Well, really what it comes down to is how they're going to perform against the NFC West. We saw them beat the Rams. They play all three other teams the rest of the way this season, all winnable games. And I think, you know, I don't like to read into stuff like this too much, but the fact that everything that's been going on between him and his personal relationship, that there's a resolve to that now. He knows the outcome of what happened between, you know, him and his his divorce. So now... We might see a change and a little more focus from Tom Brady. I would say, like I said, I don't like to read in the situations too much, but I, who knows? There could be a, a little more focus, and he might be less caught up in, in what's going on outside. And impressive win, and, and that just win just made me think of the vintage Tom Brady, a game-winning drive. I mean, come on. that That's Tom Brady as we know him. I would say three years ago, him getting the ball on a game-winning drive, of course he's going to win the game. That's just who Tom Brady is, and, and that's what we saw. But like I mentioned, they're going to have to win games against the NFC West, all winnable games in their division, not much stiff competition. So as long as they get some wins, I think that they can win the division and go to the playoffs. And at that point, who knows, because it's Tom Brady, and he's been in the playoffs, obviously, watching the GOAT. So who knows? Yeah, once postseason time gets around, there's really no telling. I mean, the Cincinnati Bengals yeah. made it to the Super Bowl and ne- nearly won the Super Bowl last season. So when postseason happens, it's it's a whole new season, and it everyone's 0-0, and it's yeah. a fresh start for everyone. And I think just this win might might spark a new change in, in Tampa Bay, just considering it was against the team that eliminated them from postseason last year and um, ultimately went on to win the Super Bowl. So this could be a shift in the culture, and I'm excited to see how Tom continues to elevate this team with his leadership going forward. But talking about Brady's former team, the New England Patriots, they currently sit bottom the AFC East, which which hasn't been the best division in recent years, but this year many expected was going to be not once again not the best division in football but it has become the best division in football top to bottom they have so much depth they're the only division in football with every single team over 500 so new england may not be able to be in contention with the buffalo bills for the division title but when you look at their playoff chances they're still in there with quite a few teams they currently sit at the eight eight seed if the season ended today so just on the outside of that seventh spot of the wild card, and currently there's they're just a game and a half behind 
nine of the other 16 AFC teams, and there's still a long way to go the rest of the season. And they have a tough three stre- three game stretch going coming up after their bye this week. I mean, I'm not gonna lie, they got the Jets, the Vikings, and the Bills. And those those all could be games that they lose. And they did beat the Jets earlier this season, but the Jets have also evolved in their own right. But in, in considering they beat the Bills last week, um, but I think. I think they could possibly win a game against the Jets. Uh, the Vikings have been very impressive. I'm excited to see how they fare against the Bills. If they perform well against the Bills this week, then I'd be concerned if I was New England. But they, they didn't play incredibly well against the Commanders last week, so that could possibly be a win. But it, it's mainly going to come down to that that next three-game stretch where, where they should be able to have a much better chance. they got the Cardinals, the Raiders, and the Bengals. Those are all definitely winnable games. And then you finish off the season with Miami and Buffalo again. So there, you're going to be definitely in there with those mediocre AFC teams for a, a playoff spot. And I, I feel like Bill Belichick has been able to adjust to life without Tom Brady and is starting to get a feel. Obviously, he's one of the greatest coaches ever. And now without out Tom Brady and moving past that as that's, passed by quite a quite a bit now he's really adjusting to Mac Jones and developing him in this offensive system and the defense is still one of the best in football the emergence of Jack Jones former ASU player has has been huge for that secondary and uh, their defense has been fantastic and I think it's just a few little things on offense and Mac Jones being able to elevate his game even more and elevate his receivers is really going to be the difference maker for this team so I'm excited to see how both Bill Belichick and Tom Brady fare this season two teams that have two uh, individuals who have been so accustomed to winning throughout their career career it'll be definitely interesting to see how they fare the rest of the way but moving on to Neiman's Notables this is one of my favorite segments on the show and starting with your man Justin Fields what a day. Oh, my goodness. 173 rushing yards passes Michael Vick for the most in a single-season regular season game in NFL history. The only guy with more was when Colin Kaepernick had that historic performance in the playoffs uh, in, in the Packers in 2013. And then on top of that, he's still completed 17 of 20, his 28 passes, three passing touchdowns, a rushing touchdown. He's now had three straight games with both a rushing touchdown and a passing touchdown. I mean, Justin, he's looking like one of the best, if probably the best quarterback in the 2021 class. Yeah, well, what I'll say was going into the season, a lot of Bears fans were saying if we can walk away from the season, at least knowing Justin Fields is the guy, it's a successful season. I think that's what we're seeing. Justin Fields is proving that he's the franchise quarterback. He's going to be the guy to lead this team in the future. And you mentioned it. I mean, he joins elite company with this performance. We got guys like Michael Vick, uh, Colin Kaepernick, and then you look at guys who haven't put up those type of numbers, but are still really good. Like Lamar Jackson, like he's elevated himself into elite company. And when we talk about that style of quarterback, I, I think he joins the conversation of top quarterbacks in the league for that run pass style. And I don't know. I mean, he's been he's been smart on his feet. He, he's you know, coming into the season, he was a little heavy on the run, just escaping the pocket. But he's he's starting to go through his progressions a bit more, um, passing the ball in, in in situations, but then using his legs to escape situations. And I mean, we saw it's like a 61-yard touchdown that was magnificent by Fields. And you know, 
us Bears fans, we're excited. And now with all that cap space coming up in this offseason, you hope that they can build a team uh, to compete around Justin Fields. And um, Justin Fields has been fantastic, and I think he's been the best quarterback um, as far as year two goes for um, development-wise out of this rookie class that has so much quarterback talent with so many starters across the league from Trevor Lawrence to Mac Jones and Zach Wilson, Trey Lance if he didn't get um, injured this season. So there's so many quarterbacks that are super talented from that class, and for Justin Fields to have a performance like that, I think it really elevates his status among quarterbacks across the league. But... Moving on to another name that starts with the J. In fact, all of our names on the Neiman's Notables <laughs> start with the J this week. Um, Joe Mixon, man. Ooh. So had a day for Cincinnati when they beat the struggling Panthers 42-21. to Man had four touchdowns, uh, 153 rushing yards. What was incredible throughout the game, and ha- even had a receiving touchdown too. So five touchdowns in all. Yeah. He he he's a he's an electric man. He's electric. Yeah, and performance that was a franchise record you mentioned it for rushing one receiving heck i would love to have had him on fantasy last week because that was a performance by mixon you know we're seeing a little little vintage almost from him it's it's you know it's we knew he had this in him and the fact that he's able to display it and just an all-around well-rounded good performance a lot i think he had 100 and almost 160 yards rushing it's just a really good performance and that's the that's the type of thing you need to see from mixon at this point doesn't need to be five touchdowns but obviously just just a really great performance and and something that I like to see from a guy like Joe Mixon and, and as he you know continues to to evolve throughout his career Joe Mixon and Joey B got got the things yeah, going in yeah. Cincinnati love to see it but as we mentioned earlier Jaden Daniels former ASU quarterback transferred to Baton Rouge this season lots were skeptical if he was going to even get the jo- starting job and now he Beats Alabama, slings it, 22 of 32, 182 yards, two touchdowns, not a single interception, leads the leads the Tigers to a win over uh, Alabama. Just a huge performance by the former Sun Devil, and uh, I'm really happy to see him finding success. Yeah, and you know, I, I saw on Twitter, it's it's like if you're an ASU fan, you're happy that that happened until you realize he's playing for LSU. Um but I'd love to see it out of Jaden Daniels. I knew he had it in him. I mean, the fact that he's a multidimensional quarterback, he he really can do everything. Um, and you, I don't think you know people really considered him at that level until he comes down to LSU and beats a team like Alabama. That's what he needs, and that's a career win for a guy like Jaden Daniels and puts himself on the map going forward. And I think he's going to get some some due respect that, that he has deserved over the past years, just flying a little bit under the radar, playing for ASU, and, and then having a, a, a few shaky games to, to begin his career at LSU. A lot of ASU fans did not like the way things went down in him leaving Tempe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and de- definitely don't like to see him in in wearing the yellow and purple. But I, I I'm always happy for to see a guy having success, whether he's uh, at ASU or not. And yeah. li- like seeing pro devils have success. Just any guy who attended ASU at some point in his career, you like to see it. And you know the situation with ASU right now. You, you, yes, Trenton Borgay is taking over as the new quarterback, but it, it's good for the longevity of ASU to have a guy like Trenton Borgay to. Whole, uh, lead on for the possible future and uh, with all, all the coaching situation you wouldn't know how it 
how it would have worked out with Jane Daniels and to see him having success in a new place like in the SEC lots were skeptical if he was going to be able to elevate his game to the fast play of the Southeastern Conference um moving from the Pac-12 which many national people um kind of narc on for its its low level of competition um as far as a comparison to the SEC and just overall I think this performance by Daniels elevates his draft stock and his ability yeah. um he, he's he might declare for the 2023 draft I, I think he's having the best season of his career he had a great freshman season at ASU but to be able to have a season like this and a performance like that on a national stage, that's going to stick in a lot of scouts' minds. And speaking of scouts and just coaching in general, ESPN's Jeff Saturday is going to replace Frank Reich as the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts, former player for the Colts. He has a great mind. I hear him on ESPN all the time on NFL Live. He knows the game. Uh, So just thoughts and expectations for him. Yeah, uh, definitely an interesting hire, I'll say, from the Colts. Not something that I particularly saw coming. I think they like the connection um, with Indianapolis that he has had. And and you mentioned it. I've particularly watched him on on bits on Get Up and here and there on First Take a little bit. Um, But, yeah, I think just an interesting hire. I don't really know what to think of it because he really hasn't had the coaching experience that a lot of guys have coming into that position. Last was coaching high school ball. so I don't know. I know that Indianapolis tried to get him in a coaching position twice a few years prior, O-line coach, didn't accept it, um, or, or I guess I should say things didn't work out. I don't really know the logistics behind what happened. But, yeah, just an interesting situation. I don't blame Saturday for accepting the position. I mean, you know, heck, you're, you're coaching for the Colts. That's definitely a job that very desirable for him. But I think time will tell how he does. It can go one of two ways, in my opinion. I think he can turn out to surprise a lot of people and do a good job in Indianapolis. And then on the other hand, he could just be what more so I expect him to do is not really raising the eyebrows immediately and, you know, maybe struggle to get things started in Indianapolis. Indianapolis has been in a tough spot for the past few seasons and just kind of this weird, like, are we in a rebuild? Are we not? You're, you're in a rebuild now. Like you're in yeah, a rebuild. Yeah. It's t- it's time to start this thing over, and that starts with new head coach Jeff Saturday. But I I, don't, I love Jeff Saturday. I love everything I hear from him on F- NFL Live and uh, the insight he has into the game. But just the problem I have with the Colts organization in in, the, in this is that they didn't go through the Rudy rule in allowing minority coaches an opportunity to have have a shot at this head coaching position and that that's been a scandal or not a scandal but just more a problem that that and that issue has been raised by other coaches around the league other minority coaches for NFL organizations not following through with that process and for for another organization to not follow this process to give minority coaches an opportunity just an opportunity like I'm not even asking for you to hire them and I mean I don't have a minority perspective but I know I know how to include people and I believe in every person deserving of an equal opportunity and there's so many other great football minds who and I, and I feel like they kind of let Jeff Saturday skip skip the ground yeah, skip yeah. skip the system and like there there's so many minority coaches who I know have such incredible experience and we we also very um 
qualified to take over at, at this head coach position as well. And I, they, they don't even have to take over. It's just the opportunity is what I'm disappointed in the in the Colts denying that. Yeah, and you mentioned it. I mean, I, I think that it seems that at least on surface level that they, they didn't go through the mo they didn't even really go through the motions of, of exercising a hiring process that we would like to see in the NFL with the Rudy rule and, and minority coaches getting an equal shot at things. And this just seemed like a hire that was a little bit out of left field. The fact that they were just immediately hired them, really no experience and not even really looking at other coaches that were qualified for a role like this who deserve at least a shot at getting an interview or, or at least a look from an organization. And, and look, it, I'm, I'm an ex- in, uh, I'm interested to see if, like, what they do come the real head coach hiring process because, yeah. like, Coach Aguano, Saturday's just going to be an interim head coach. Right. Aguano obviously desperately wants the ASU job, and I'm sure Saturday does as well. But there's going to be, at least I know ASU is going to definitely explore yeah. their options, yeah. and I definitely hope that the Indianapolis Colts explore their options as well in trying to see – um, the possible options for a minority coach and the experience they bring and really explore their options fully. And so I would like them to definitely do that at, at the very least in their uh, long-term head coach hiring process. So it definitely lessens it a little bit more um, with it being an interim head coach, but still disappointed in the way things played out. Um, so that takes us in kind of on that negative mood to yeah. our, our Neiman's NARC segment. And we'll, we'll shift over to... Texas A&M, Jimbo Fisher, has has had a very disappointing start and disappointing season thus far. A 3-6 and six season, they're at risk of not making a bowl game at all. They came into the season ranked in the top five. And no joke, we're in the top five. They landed all these offseason recruits. Um, Nick Saban called Jimbo Fisher out for just having the money to pay the recruits. There was yeah. all this hype about a possible matchup between A&M and Alabama, and then A&M did not live up to the hype, and they've just continually disappointed. And now uh, the top, I believe it was line- linebacker um, in the 2023 class, decommitted from Texas A&M. So that's just speaking to if you're not going to win, you're going to recruit all these guys, but you're not going to be able to make it work. Jimbo Fisher, a great-minded head coach, but hasn't been able to put it together this season. It's really been disappointing considering all the expectations. Yeah, and you know they've played they've played good teams, highly ranked teams, close. We saw a close game against Alabama. We saw a close game against Ole Miss. But the fact of the matter is, they're not winning against the teams that they should win against: the South Carolinas, the Floridas, teams that they should beat by a very sizable margin. Especially what you know our expectations for the beginning of the season. They haven't done that. And that that's worrisome for me because all that hype and, and all that, that preseason buzz that was around this program, I wanted to believe in and I wanted to think that Jimbo Fisher was going to turn this program into a program that could, could compete in, in rival teams like Alabama for the long term. And that's something we're not seeing. And, and Jimbo Fisher just hasn't been able to stable or, or steady the ship with this A&M team. They've, they've been up and down, up and down. And, you know, I don't, I don't really know how to read them uh, you know, from from a standpoint of looking at them, you know, season by season collectively, but for sure this year has just just not been not been a desirable season for Jimbo Fisher and the Texas A&M program. 
Definitely been disappointing, and another disappointing team this season has been the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, but not, even more so disappointing has just been uh, their their handling of their draft picks over the past few seasons. And yes, they had no control over the Henry Rugg situation and his actions, but um, that situation is now followed up by safety Jonathan Abram. The 2019 first-round pick um, was just released by the team um, due to a mix of off-field issues as well as just on-field performance. And so that can kind of just speak to their um, lack of ability in choosing solid um, draft picks and then also just developing their draft picks and instilling in them proper values in the Raider way, if, if you want to call it that. But now they're in the bid for probably the number one overall pick yeah. considering how bad they have been this season. And I, I don't see Josh McDaniels turning things around. And despite the addition of Devontae Adams, they are have been clearly the worst team in the NFL this season. And with, with them likely having the highest draft pick they've had in quite some time, I'm interested to see how they'll handle that, but they, because they clearly haven't been able to handle it properly the past few years. Yeah, and, and it just makes you question the culture and what they're doing from the top to bottom as far as developing guys and, and bringing them into the franchise and, and and making them NFL players. And you know, when you get to that that situation, it gets hard because you know you want to believe that they'll eventually get it right and eventually be able to develop these these high picks that they get but you don't know i i'm starting to question whether they have the ability to because they've had so many great players and great picks that have not panned out the way that i would have liked to see them you know i don't know it it just puts the raiders in a tough situation it applies a lot of pressure on the organization as a as a whole to develop players and get them to to the point that they need to be at you know by the time they're a couple years into their nfl career and we just have seen first round pick after first round pick this flame out for the raiders they they have not produced and you know with rugs you can't really control that but i don't know i i just would like to see them put a little more emphasis in developing players and, and turning them into what we would expect the, these picks to be they, they've got the talent they've got the pieces um it's just a matter of putting the puzzle together so moving on from the Raiders, we move to another team in black and white, but just more so an individual um, who who has very much disappointed me. We've talked about him on the show before. Kyrie Irving made some anti-Semitic comments this past week, as I'm sure you all have seen on social media, and was suspended five games, rightfully so, for his... Um, promotion um that he denied he was promoting and he didn't officially apologize and now adam silver had met with him they said they had a productive discussion but his inability to apologize really hit with me hard just because he didn't have any remorse and he's posted some interesting things on his social media i'm not going to question his ability to believe what he wants to believe that's 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 a right but this is hate upon another um, demographic and the, uh, Jews and just all that comes with that. And Kevin Durant even said, just, we need to move past it. But I, in these kind of situations, you don't move past, you advocate. you got to advocate for these um, minority groups and these groups that have been the sufferers of racism for decades upon centuries. And 
you can't just move past something like this. And Kyrie Irving has completely destroyed his reputation. We've talked about his legacy before. And just Kyrie Irving, I don't know. A lot of people are questioning now how long he's even going to remain in the league despite his talent, despite how phenomenal he is when he is on the court. He's not very much on the court anymore. And it seems like to me his desire is in other players than basketball now. Yeah, and when when I look at the Kyrie Irving situation, I I'm, I'm with everybody else. I I don't know how much longer he'll be in the league because even after a departure, uh, you know, a potential departure with the Nets down the road, it's the fact that I'm not sure what teams are willing to to want to sign Kyrie Irving, not only for the price tag but with everything else that comes with him, and, and the the drama that that comes with him really. Um, and, and you know it, it hates me to, it, it hurts me for for Kyrie Irving to do things I mean when he was on the Cavs he was just such an electrifying player and, and I love to see him one of the craftiest and and one of the best playmakers in the NBA and the fact that over the past few years we, we've seen Kyrie get caught up in a lot of things off the court that have affected on-court play and chemistry among teams it, it just it just pains me to see it and, and I, I would like to see Kyrie do better, but I'm not sure at this point in his career if he's dug himself too deep of a hole. I personally think he's dug himself a pretty dang deep hole. Yeah. That would be tough for any person to climb out of. And cancel culture is real. And I'm surprised he hasn't got canceled yet. And Kanye West made, ran, made, uh, recently made some similar comments. Um, and so it, it's unfortunate just to see in our society such prominent figures who are supposed to be idolized to be so immature in their actions and so um, insensitive about what they say you got to think before you speak and think before you post it's it's a simple act and it's not hard to do to just be morally a good person like it's really not that difficult to not be racist and for some for a league the NBA who has combated racism and throughout recent history with the Black Lives Matter movement and things of that nature it's definitely difficult to see one of their um, now he's not a FaceTime player but one of the primetime players they have had um, in this league and a franchise that has been expected to be able to achieve championship success they have fallen short of that time and time again. And, yeah, it's fallen on part of the fault of Kevin Durant, but I don't think any fault should fall on Kevin Durant. This has solely been Kyrie Irving. Kyrie made the move to Brooklyn. He was the one that told KD, we're going to Brooklyn. We're not going to Manhattan where the Knicks are. And so this has been all the drama. It's all been Kyrie. It's It's been him all along. And he's been the main factor in just this entire messy situation with the Nets. And I think the Nets, it's going to be in their best interest to move on, trade him, whatever you need to do, release him if things continue to go down the way they are. Um, it's going to be best for Josiah and this organization to just fully cut ties here soon enough and maybe just starting after this suspension. Yeah, and you know, whether whether guys like Steve Nash, you know, fell victim to Kyrie or not, I think is a you know a different conversation. But I think we have to mention it because, you know, other people are becoming scapegoats of a situation that that Kyrie Irving is stirring up, and 
you know, you hate to see that on a team that has so much talent and that's, that's everybody else on that team is ready to compete for an NBA title. Everybody else is on board, but when you got guys like Kyrie that, that aren't fully committed to, to making that um, a full team effort, it, it, as an organization, it makes you, you want to separate yourself and create distance between you and a guy like Kyrie Irving. Guys, I know that was some heavy stuff, but we had we had to do it because it's important that we advocate for these issues, be advocates against racism, um, and that, that's just the message I would just want to share with you guys to continue to help hold people accountable when they say um, things that you know are questionable and just holding people accountable, even these large figures. So moving on to stock up, stock down, lightening up the mood. Stock up for Russell Westbrook, man. I know you're a Lakers yeah, fan. yeah. He's been balling off the bench, and I've been wanting him to be able to shift that role to the bench. I know it's hard to let that ego down considering you're a former MVP, but it's the time you make that move. And, and then Darvin Ham made that move to um, put put Kyrie on the bench, and he's, he's been performing very well. 26 points, 19 points, and 22 points in his last three games. He's He's been balling, man. Yeah, honorable mention on this stock up to Coach Darvin Ham for making the move and, and creating an environment where Russell Westbrook is okay with making this move. And these past few games, I've, I'm really starting to see Russell Westbrook become the Russell Westbrook that I know him. He, he I see that I see that little edge that Russell Westbrook has had, and it's it's good to see him playing off the bench. For me, though, I I, I think that this is good for the Lakers in the respect that it's driving up his his stock before they cut ties with him. I don't know whether they can make it work or not, but I think, uh, you know, whether way you slice it, good for Russell Westbrook and, and, and balling how we're more accustomed to seeing balling uh, prior to his time with the Lakers. While Russell Westbrook may be balling, LeBron James and Anthony Davis have not been performing to their expectations this season, and these are the two faces of the franchise. They are the heart and soul of this team, and they have not performed and been able to elevate this team that they came together and won a Mickey Mouse championship like the Los Angeles Dodgers. All those 2020 championships I, I don't take into account because they were short in seasons. So you can't really... Um, fully analyze those but just anyway LeBron James Anthony Davis both underperforming this season yeah and that's something you cannot afford if you're the Lakers organization and if you're LeBron James or Anthony Davis you know you're the two guys that should be the guys that you can count on on a nightly basis day in and day out that are gonna put up good performances and when they don't when they don't put up great performances it hurts the franchise and it hurts the team because you're the two guys that everyone is counting on and you're supposed to be the consistent part of the team and when you're not it throws everybody off and I think that LeBron James and Anthony Davis will get it back together I think they're just going through a little bit of a rough patch here and a deserving stock down for this week stock up Tom Brady we we already pretty much covered all all of his stuff but what led the game-winning drive against the Rams and it's really starting to turn turn things around there yeah and you know, I mentioned it earlier, the fact that he's finally able to move on from everything that he's been dealing with, whether that's good or bad. Um, last week was an indication that we're, he's still got the old Tom Brady in him, and he's not completely done yet. And uh, a fantastic drive in a game where, to be honest, there was some points where the, the Buccaneers had caused a lot of mistakes that take out those mistakes they, they might have been up by more but in the end Tom Brady doing a good job leading the Buccaneers down the field last drive and, and showing us a little little vintage Tom Brady if you will 
For sure. Stock down for the Cardinals again. They continue to disappoint, and Kyler Murray, I I knew this offseason when he signed that contract, he was not worthy, and then just when even, that was even before the scandal came out about his little clause in there about film time, but it's clearly shown his lack of lack of commitment to the game, so to speak, just having it in there, and to it, it's definitely shown as the Cardinals last in the NFC West, Three and six, they just lost to the Seahawks, who who are good this season. But the I saw a post with Buda Baker just emotional on social media, yelling at his teammates that they can't be settling for losing. And Buda Baker, I I believe, is just the leader of that team, leader of the defense, and he's really the only thing holding them together at all defensively and offensively. The minds of Cliff Cliff Kingberry Kingsbury, sorry, and Kyler Murray, they have both underperformed, and Kyler Murray has his contract locked up, but Cliffs Kingsbury, I don't know. After having a hot start like you did last season, this puts him really in a hot, hot seat. Yeah, and let's be honest, we haven't even been able to see the second half of the season for Cliff Kingsbury, where he typically fades out to begin with. So, yeah, for me, it's Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury intertwined with each other. There's a disconnect that's very evident between the two guys, and it's just not working. And when you're the Arizona Cardinals, you've already made the investment on Kyler Murray, so you have to find him a coach that works with him and that has a chemistry with him uh, better than, than Cliff Kingsbury has because obviously it's not working uh, down here in Phoenix for the Cardinals. Give me give me a big stock up for my Portland Trailblazers again. I mean, they've been on a roll lately. Uh, they're second in the West behind the Utah Jazz. They beat the Suns twice. And now, just last night, or a couple nights ago, rather, um, they, beat the Bla- they beat the Heat on a Josh Hart buzzer beater. Not even Damian Lillard. He, he's been sidelined with an injury a little bit. Hopefully he'll be back soon. And then they just beat the Hornets today. They've been rolling. I'm telling you, don't sleep on the Blazers. I'm telling you, they can they can really do some damage in this Western Conference. Yeah, and the fact that they've been able to hold down the fort without Damian Lillard has, has sp- sp- spoke volumes but beyond the depth of this team, I think a lot of the, the naysayers of, of the Portland Trailblazers believe that they just don't have the depth to be a competitive team in the West. And the fact that they've been able to show early in the season as well that they can do it without Dame and they can they can hold off and win games when he's not playing, uh, I think gets, gets Trailblazers fans excited and, and should put the league on alert that this Portland Trailblazers team came into the season and they're ready to compete and they're ready to play. And just tying into that stock up, Chauncey Billups has, in in that development and yeah. being able to play without Dame, just being handed the deck of cards that he was handed last season. I don't know how too many coaches that would have been able to make that work and turn it into something super positive this season. And has definitely paid dividends here to start the season. And I, I hope they can keep it rolling. But final stock up, this, this is a little fun one. <laughs> Kirk Cousins and just living life, wearing the chains, doing hey. his little dance. Hey. You know, he's 7-1. Live one. your life. Live Vikings your life. Vikings are rolling, man. Vikings are rolling. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I'm part of the, the Kirk Cousins uh, naysayer club, if you will. You know, I think he kind of got overpaid a little bit in the extension. But, hey, 7-1, and one, no matter how you slice it, ugly win against the commanders, hey, you know. If you're Kirk Cousins, baby, live your life, man. Live your life. You like that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Did you know that stat? Back to Tom Brady. 
you got to talk about. You can't talk about the goat enough. Tom Brady has already placed himself in football immortality with his seven football rings, Super Bowl rings, and all the other records he has. But he just added to the list this past weekend, becoming the first player in NFL history to pass what many thought would be the impossible mark of a hundred thousand career yards. To put that in perspective, he has now thrown for fifty-six point eight two miles. Man, Tom Brady just defying father time. Yeah, and, you know, whether you think he should be retired or not by now, it's, hey, he's still putting up numbers and 100,000 career yards. It's hard to fathom because a guy that's been able to be that good for that long, hey, you got to give props to Tom Brady, and maybe he can get things turned around there in Tampa Bay. Two-minute drill to finish off the show. Odell Beckham Jr. popping around in the NFL trade deadline. uh, Listed four teams that he would like to play for. The Giants, the Bills, the Saints, and none other, the Dallas Cowboys. Who would you like to see OBJ play for? Well, me personally, I would like to see him return to the bayou down there in Louisiana and play for the Saints, you know, a little hometown connection there. I think that they... Definitely need some some receiving help. You know, Alave can't do it himself, so why not bring Odell Beckham down there? You need a quarterback, so there's a little, you know, questionability there. But, hey, I would like to see a homecoming for OBJ. LSU find $250,000 after fans rush the field. Should the SEC keep punishing fans for celebrating it to this degree? Yeah, OBJ is all modern. No, no, you can't, like, Tennessee, LSU... These are iconic scenes that live in the minds of fans and, of course, those people at the game forever. They shouldn't be punished for doing that. Maybe for, yes, destruction against the goalposts. I think they should stop doing that. But if you just do a simple rush of the field with no destruction to the property, I I, I think that would be fine going forward. But definitely stay off the goalposts, fans. But Tyre Woods set to return to the course, saying, quote, See you all soon at Albany in reference to the Hero World Challenge in December. How do you think this golf legend, how much do you think he has left in his game? Oh, he's got a major left in him. I'll tell you that much. He's got a major left in him. I told people before he won the Masters, he's got a major left in him. Hey, look what he does. did. He's got one more left in him. I'm telling you. Augusta come April, watch out. He'll have the green jacket, all right? Uh, Next up here, Dan Orlovsky said that he's not ruling out assisting Jeff Saturday with the Indianapolis Colts. Thought on this potential move? No, we can't. We can't see another ESPN talent. I need. I need to have Dan on on my ESPN shows. He's such a good mind, and I, I, it would just be too much to have that kind of hiring go down between. It would just be yeah. a bad situation. And plus, I love me some Dan Orlowski chopping it up with Stephen A. on first take. Finally, top 25 rivalry matchup, one of the best, longest rivalry matchups in all of sports, Oregon versus Washington. Who you got? I got the Ducks. They, they got too much to lose to lose uh, to Washington right now. They got everything going for them. They're on a collision course for USC or UCLA in a Pac-12 championship, so I think they take this one uh, maybe by handling them out. Oregon State played at Seattle last week, and they they normally struggle in Seattle, and the lights went out. It was a weird situation. So the Ducks luckily welcomed the Huskies to town to Austin Stadium, where they've beaten UCLA this season. I think the Ducks roll again behind the amazing performances out of Bo Nix. But that's going to finish our show. Thanks for tuning in to the Screaming Demons. Hope you all enjoyed all the content. You can catch it where you want. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, we got it. And we hope you all have a great rest of your week. We'll see you all next time.